Welcome to the American Med Spa Podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, AmSpa founder Alex Tiersch is in conversation with Albert Miles, Vice President of Excite Healthcare Real Estate. Welcome, everybody. This is Alex Tiersch, and this is the Medical Spa Insider Podcast again. Um, and by the way, those of you who are listening and Albert, I'll introduce you in a second, but please, if you have ideas on this, I'd love to have it. I need to come up with a new name for our podcast. Medical Spa Insider is great, but I'm looking for something a little bit more flashy, a little different. So um, so ideas are always welcome. But with that said, we have today on the Am Spa Hotline, Albert Miles, Vice President of, is it, is it Excite Realty? Is that how you pronounce? Okay. Excite so, Realty, which I, I and, and Albert is, is someone who, who does and helps medical spa owners, prospective medical spa owners find real estate, sell the real estate. And you guys do a bunch more. I was, I was poking around your website and it was, it's, it's really cool the kind of the, the value of services that you offer. And I've definitely got some questions about it. Um, but before we get started, um, why don't you go ahead and just give us a little background about, um, about what you and your company do and, and, and how you can help either med spa owners or prospective med spa owners find the find the right real estate and, and a little bit a little bit about yourself and then we'll dive into it yeah sure appreciate it uh first off thanks for having me on the podcast it's an honor to be here and uh, excited for the conversation uh, so I'll, I'll start us off just give a, a quick uh quick background on excite and then uh myself and then we'll uh we'll see where we go from there so uh first off so excite we got our start uh our our four partners did roughly 15 years ago three of them worked for a large uh, commercial real estate firm and one worked for a dental supply uh, company uh, selling equipment. And uh, those four got together, had lunch one day, and the guy who was working for the uh, the dental equipment firm basically told the other guys, hey, my, my clients, when they are uh, opening up, they're not ramping up quick. Uh, they're having just, you know, they're having trouble getting their feet off the ground. Uh, and I don't know why. And so they put their heads together and they said, let's go in and let's create a, a data driven process to find uh, where based on the demographics, where based on uh, the, the current uh, competitive landscape, where uh, the data would point to them being most successful. Uh, so that was roughly 15 years ago, starting with dental. Since then, we have expanded to every healthcare vertical, including uh, aesthetics, med spa, plastics, dem- uh, derm, uh, you know, really, really any uh, any uh, medical vertical. Uh, we jump in and we create a custom uh, patient profile and demographic analysis to essentially come in uh, and establish who your target patient is find where the highest densities of that target patient are, uh, and then go in and analyze the competition within those different markets to see where can we overlay a high density of your target patient, a uh, favorable competitive landscape, and then third, where can we overlay that with a dominant real estate opportunity? That's that's awesome. Um, so, in you know, it's super interesting because we talk a lot about, obviously, about... Um, the business side of things, startups, um, you know, what you need to have as part of your business plan, the different things that you need in order to, to, to run a successful, compliant, safe med spa. We don't talk 
as much about the formal process within real estate selection. And I think it's, it's interesting that, that, that you're number one, starting in dental makes a lot of sense. Uh, medical spas are kind of following that a similar path as what dental did uh, a while ago. I, I think we're, you know, we're very different in, in a lot of ways. So it's not quite as, as, um, apples to apples as maybe we'd like, but nevertheless, so, so what, what you're doing is it's within the context of real estate selection, you're doing a lot more and, and, and which, which I would love to kind of dig into because it's 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 one thing that that people have a lot of questions on as far as how do I I, I want to get into um, aesthetics how do I choose a site do, do I need a site that is in a medical building do I need a site that's in a you know a medical uh, a medical office is it a strip mall is it in a mall that's attached to other types of retail spaces and then do I buy do I lease how does all that work so I, I would love to kind of take just a step back and, and let's envision you know a, we've got a, a new person looking to get into the business and they come into you and say hey I want to do this um, I want to open a med spa What's the process here? How do we go through that and figure out what they should do, what they can do, what's the best for them? Yeah, so that's a good question. So uh, first off, there's no uh, there's no cookie cutter answer here. We like to take a very uh, targeted approach for each of our clients because every uh, client that we work with has a different vision. They've got different ideas of uh, what they want to see to come to fruition. They have different ideas of who who they want to target as far as uh, their, uh, you know, their target patient base. And so before we ever get started, uh, the first step for us is first to educate the, uh, the client on, uh, what the entire process is going to look like and to set expectations. And so for, for us, we, we are very heavy on the, on the education side. And so we typically, we will come and we will educate, uh, users who want to open up a clinic we will educate them roughly two to three years in advance from when they actually want to be open. Uh, because obviously this, this process, it's, it's not an overnight thing. It takes time. It takes preparation. Uh, and so if we can come in and we can schedule a time to jump on the phone for 30 minutes with them, we can walk them through. Here's exactly what the process is going to look like. And here's how you can begin planning and preparing in order to be ready to open up your doors and hit the ground running in two to three years. So that- Uh, That's interesting though. I mean, does it have to be two to three years or is that kind of the ideal that you're talking about? Well, that's, that's ideal scenario. Ideal scenario is, is we're able to come and educate them early on and that way they've had time to plan and prepare more. uh, I'd say more commonly I get, I get a call and they say, Hey, Albert, uh, I I, want to open up, you know, uh, yeah, next week, or I want to open up three months from now. Uh, you know, let's, let's get up and let's, let's, you know, put the pedal to the metal. Uh, and at that point, we tell them, I guess, let's, let's tap the brakes here because though, you know, it's exciting to open up a business. What we never want to fall into is getting into a rush and miss good opportunities or potentially just making mistakes that are going to end up hurting you in the long run. Uh, so two to three years is is ideal to to educate them. But, you know, typically when we start the process after we go and we do our educational portion, the next step is for us to uh, we'll send over our new client questionnaire, which is essentially it's 
10, 11 questions for the for the uh, the client to paint their vision of what uh, they they are, are wanting to accomplish. And from there, what kind of what what, what, what kind of questions are you asking in the, in, in the questionnaire? I'm curious because yeah, it's great, great th- that that part of it is crucial, right? Because their goals, their ideal client, all the demographic information and studies are are going to be um, contingent upon what that what they want, right? Exactly. Exactly. So we want to know, you know, one of the the biggest ones is going to be uh, who's your target uh, patient. So we want to know, you know, that we've got people who come in and they say, hey, I want to target, you know, females ages 21 to 60 uh, incomes north of 150,000. Uh, great. Well, that we want to know all those things because we're going to plug that into, uh, we've got a data team in-house. We don't outsource any of our demographics. Uh, we've got a data team that, that builds these, uh, these, these packages, uh, custom for each client. And so we want to know exactly who it is that you're targeting and then we can go and we can put all those specific parameters, uh, into our software and find exactly, uh, where uh, we need to go. Okay. From- uh, and, and and I'm I'm curious, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you up, but this is like I'm 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 kind of a data geek uh, yeah. in some of these stuff, which is interesting. I started out as a English lit major, and I went to law school, and now I, all I can think about is is data. It's weird, um, <laughs> but what, 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 how specific and how granular are you getting with respect to the patients? Because what we what we teach, like when we do a boot camp, uh, a med spa boot camp, you know how to run a successful med spa. We'll we'll say create a, a patient avatar, right? Like what is your patient look like. And, you know, I said, you know, we can describe it, you you know, what do they watch? What do they like? What's their income? You know, all that stuff. But, but that's just kind of generic that that we're coming off of. I've never actually done that for a a, a clinic. How how granular do you get when it comes to the ideal patient? And as a follow-up, are there multiple types of ideal patients that you're, that you're trying to get as opposed to just only one? Yeah. So it's a good question. So with, when you get into data, it, uh, it, it really, uh, you can get lost in the weeds very, very quickly. So you, you can go and we can put together a report that's, you know, 30 pages long and it's, it's going to tell you, you know, within this community, you know, how, how many, how many people are, you know, pet owners and how many, you know, how much they're spending on dog food and, you know, all this, all this crazy stuff. Like you can get very, very granular and you can go into uh, a lot of different things that, to be honest, as, as we have gone through and, and, you know, gone through this process of site selection and, uh, and, and helping, uh, you know, different clients open up over the years, uh, we have been able to, to realize that most of those data points are just fluff. Uh, it gets you excited. And if you can come in and you can see, you know, we can, we can pull a, a stat of, you know, how, how many people went to uh, a, a a spa last year? It's like okay, well, hey, that that you know, it's it sounds it sounds exciting, uh, but really, what we are looking for at the end of the day is we're looking for where is the density of our target patient, and that is most often driven by gender and income. Uh, so we know, we know I, though though there's an increasing population of males that are are getting into you know coming to med spas. Uh, our bread and butter is still the female population. Uh, and is, is is it gender and income? Or what about age? Like age dispersion is that is that also important, or is it still again you can kind of get back to gender and because that's super interesting and, and I, I think very insightful. Yeah, yeah. So so when you when we're going to cast a net, when we are going to run an analysis on a site, we are going to drop a pin on that site, and if it's in a metro area, we're going to drop a three mile radius around it. So in a metro area, I mean, we can be pulling 140,000 people in in that in that three mile 
radius. And so within that, you're going to have areas that are focused on younger demographics. You're going to have areas that are, you know, sometimes just more more established, old money. Uh, you know, there's there's typically when you have that big of a radius, there's always going to be a great big mix. Uh, so for us, when we are going to try and say, for example, we just we just finished, uh, you know, putting together, a, uh, putting together and finishing up a deal for uh, a, a doctor uh, opening up in the St. Louis area. So if we were going to go and look at St. Louis, we would say, OK, let's go and let's say, you know, for example, females ages 21 to 60. And I want to see incomes north of 200,000. I want to go and I'm going to punch those in. And our uh, our software is going to show us which zip codes hit the the metrics of, of you know, the uh, certain amount of those target patients that we're looking for. So if we're looking for, you know, 2,000 of those target patients, it's going to highlight three different zip codes. And from there, then we go and we say, okay, within those zip codes, where can we find a dominant real estate play that's going to fit our vision? And usually the real estate is going to be our limiting factor. Uh, when you're going into an area that is is highly sought after, there are good incomes, we've got to realize that you know, real estate doesn't grow on trees and we are not the only ones who want to be there. Uh, so with that, in those three different areas, we may only find two good real estate options. Uh, so from there, now we want to go, we want to drop a pin on those real estate options. And then within that three mile radius, I want to know how many people are there of the people that are there, uh, how many fall into that age, you know, 21 to 60, uh, how many check the box of being incomes north of 200,000. And then I want to go and I want to see how many competitors are there based on how many patients we have to fight over. And is there enough market share available for a new provider to come in and not just keep their head above water, uh, but is there enough market share for us to come in and kill it? And that's, I mean, that's fascinating. And and that's really where the rubber meets the road, right? For this yep. situation, it's, it's okay, we got, um, we want to start a practice. We, we know generally what we're looking at. I think it's really important. And what you said, I think is, is, is interesting that, you know, a lot of this stuff is fluff, but you know, mostly it's, it's, it's kind of gender and income. Um, what about like when you're requesting this and gathering info from the, the prospective business owner, um, mm -hmm. what about type of business? And, and, and like, if, do I say, you know, I want to have a retail storefront or, or I want to have, um, you know, I, 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 I want to have a big presence on a big street. I mean, all that stuff matters. Where, where does that fall in, um, into this whole process? Yeah. Yeah. So there is, there, there's, there's different schools of thoughts here. You've got, uh, you know, people who say, Hey, uh, you know, having, having a, a high traffic, uh, highly visible location doesn't matter. Just go and, you know, take, take a, you know, a, a cheap space that is, is going to be, you know, maybe it's going to be in the back, but it's, it's going to, uh, you know, look good at the, at the end of the year on your balance sheet. Uh, and some people go in and they, they've got the strat, the marketing strategies, and, and maybe they can figure out how to, to come in and make that successful. Uh, but typically the, the, the road or the, the, you know, the, the side of the coin that we fall on, uh, is usually, uh, more visibility, more traffic, more eyeballs on us, uh, the better. 
And so obviously we do still want to keep in mind overhead. Uh, but the way that we see it is if you are, you know, you're placed, you know, next to a, a cycle bar or something, something like that, something where uh, a another user that our, our typical patient is already going to uh, or, you know, being on a, a high traffic intersection and we're right out front and they see our sign. Yes, maybe we're not going to be getting a ton of walk in traffic, but what we are going to get is we're going to get the re uh, the, the the reaffirmation of our brand. Brand. And so when they see your Instagram ad coming up or, you know, they, uh, you know, uh, whatever marketing you're doing that pops up and then they they come back to the hundred times they've driven by your sign going to Starbucks or going to Whole Foods and it just reinforces it. And in their mind, it's like, oh, man, yeah, this, this the stars must have aligned here. Yeah, I think I think, uh, yeah, this 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 looks like somewhere I should go and try out. Uh so though it is, it's more expensive at the end of the month. But if if you, the way that we we typically see it is just it's, it's part of your advertising budget. Right, right. So and I'm pushing. This is probably a loaded question, and I, and there's probably not a correct answer to this. But um, what are you seeing, or is there are there any guideposts um, or guidelines that you're seeing in your business with you and your partners um, where the um, like what businesses are better in aesthetics to be to be located near, like for instance, you said cycle bar. I think that's, you know, anything, you know, with Pilates, whatever it is, where you've got this kind of higher end client, mostly, mostly female. Is it salons? Is it a whole foods? Is there anything that any guidance you can give generally so that folks are, when they're starting to think about this and then looking around, um, you know, what should they be looking for in aesthetics in particular? Yeah. Good, good question. So uh, if we're, if we're looking at med spas uh, generally here, and then this is, this is different. If we're looking at plastic and derm, that's, that's, that's yeah, sure, for sure. For sure. Uh, but if we're looking at med spas specifically, yeah, typically we're looking for where, where can we get in front of our target patient on their way to do their daily, weekly, monthly activities and errands. So if they're so the cycle bar was a good one. They're going to work out three times a week. Boom, boom, boom. They're seeing it. Starbucks. They're going to, to get their their latte every morning. There's there's another one. Whole Foods. Uh, really, any any type of uh, health conscious type establishments usually those a lot of times are going to be uh, banded together. So if we can be near those, uh, we don't necessarily have to be out in front of that major you know, health food grocer and in front of that target. But if we can be across the street or on the way and still highly visible, uh, then uh, we we still accomplish our, our goal of uh, being in front of them and being easy to access. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, it's interesting because, you know, you, you, you raised it, um, as far as the different schools of thought about where you should be located. I, I hear the same thing too. I hear it's, you know, some folks will say the location is everything. The more, the more visibility you get, the better, but I've definitely seen, um, others who have med spas in the corner of an office building that you can't see from, from anywhere and they're doing just fine. And so they're, and they're, and they think that they're saving. So it's really kind of an individual thing. Um, what, so, so what's next in the process? So you, you've, and, and, and I'd love to, you know, that timeline is important here because I think people, you're right. People tend to think that this needs to be done fast and they tend to rush into it. And, and, and I always, you know, same thing with, 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 with their legal documents, you've got to be, you've got to 
take your time, make sure you understand it. What's kind of next in the process? You've, you've, you've learned about them. You're, you're, you're doing kind of, I, is this basically like a, like a market study of, of demographics that you're, that you're putting together for them? Um, and then, you know, what's, what's going on with that and, and what happens next? Yeah. Yeah. So next up, once we have gathered all their parameters, we know exactly what we're looking for. Uh, I'm going to have my team go and put together what exactly we call a market study. So that is going to be uh, a a demographic analysis of the area that we're looking at. And and then uh, whenever we complete that, what it's going to look like is we're going to come back with our top, you know, we're not going to be looking at 50 properties. Typically we're going to come back and it's going to be eight to 10 opportunities. And it's going to be opportunities that have been qualified that fit your vision and that also show well from a demographics and competition standpoint. And so when we bring those back, uh, we're going to have all the information on each of those. And then we're going to have our uh, demographic and competition analysis uh, as well packaged up. And that way, whenever we uh, meet, whether in person or over Zoom, uh, we can walk you through here are the top options. Here's the data. Here's the competition. Here's how they stack up side by side. And then we're going to filter through those and out of those top eight to 10 options, we want to narrow down to our top, say, two to three. And at that point, once we have our top two to three, we want to go ahead and submit what's called a letter of intent on two to three opportunities at one time. And so this way, we do this for a few different reasons. Uh, one, uh, we want to make sure that we don't put all our eggs in one basket, right? So, so you know, we've had it happen numerous times where we're negotiating on a site and it's a, it's a killer opportunity. We get two months into it and then AT&T or Starbucks come in and they swoop in at the last second and they take it from us. Uh, so that does happen. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate, but it does happen. So we need to have a contingency in place. And that's why we want to have a site number two. Uh, and in some cases, a site number three. Uh, that we're negotiating on. But in addition to that, as we begin negotiating, uh, sometimes what will happen is we'll see that uh, this site, you know, that was our second favorite, that landlord decides he wants to throw his wallet at us uh, in terms of concessions to come to uh, his building. And so in that case, if he's willing to dig deep enough, uh, sometimes site number two can quickly become site number one. Uh, so we want to see, you know, for, from a few different landlords who who is willing to uh, incentivize us to come and to open up in their building. Yeah. Yeah. Is is there, a, I mean, how, how long does the lease negotiation process normally take? I mean, it's, it's we've, I've done it for, for our business and it can be, it can take a long time or it can sometimes be quick. What's the, I mean, what's kind of an average thing for this business for med spas that, that people should be thinking about when it comes to time? Yeah. So typically from, so, so just, I'll give you an overall timeline from here to signing a lease. So from the day that we start looking for sites and running our demographics and our competition to the day that you're signing a lease average, we're looking at three to four months. So, so to, to find the site we're we're looking at two weeks, uh, typically. And then from there we go through, we do our LOI negotiation, that's six to eight weeks. Uh, and then once we have, uh, agreed on, uh, the LOI, the letter of intent terms at that point, now we're going to go and we're going to bring in uh, an attorney, uh, who is going to uh, insert all of those, uh, big ticket items that we've negotiated into that lease. And then they're going to go and dig into the more detailed stuff, uh, that, uh, that, you know, is, is more, uh, geared for somebody who's been to law school. Uh, so, uh, so, uh, that's another six to eight weeks. So, so all, all three to four months, you're signing a lease. And at that point from there, this is where the timeline sort of, uh, takes, takes, you know, one path or another. Uh, 
So if the site that we are negotiating on, if it is existing, so you can you can drive by it and you know there, there's there's a storefront there and you know maybe maybe it was formerly a salon or maybe it was formerly something else or maybe it's a shell inside. There's nothing inside. Uh, either case, if if it is existing, depending on your market and how long the permitting process takes, uh, you can be open from from start to finish. You can be open in seven to eight months. Seven to eight. Okay. And that, so you're talking about how long it's going to take when you take over kind of not possession of it, but when the, 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 the lease is executed and the build out starts. So they start building the inside of the show exactly. to what it's yeah. going to look like. Exactly. Yeah. So yes. Yeah. So seven to eight months. And then the other timeline is if, if we are negotiating on a building that is still under construction or a lot of times we will come in and we will, we will negotiate and sign a lease on a building that hasn't even started construction. Uh, so a lot of times to get those grade A sites, we've got to get there you know, uh, before they ever even break ground. Hey everyone, let me take a quick second to share something really interesting for your business. Did you know that a staggering 74% of consumers shop on their phones while watching TV at night? That's like 7 out of 10 of your patients. But the real eye-opener here is that less than 1 out of 10 med spas actually sell their products online. Can you imagine the untapped potential of giving your patients the convenience to purchase treatments, services, or skincare right from the comfort of their own homes through your very own branded app? That's where RepeatMD comes in. RepeatMD is the fastest growing software in the medical aesthetics industry, and for good reason. RepeatMD is designed by e-commerce experts who have worked with renowned brands like Target, Nordstrom, and Neiman Marcus, and they'll build your practice its own mobile rewards and shopping app. Clients love RepeatMD, and patients love the experience RepeatMD provides. RepeatMD rewards patients for spending more, encourages them to come back more often, and helps them discover treatments they'll absolutely love. On top of that, your practice can sell memberships and offer financing for services all through your very own app designed and managed by the experts at RepeatMD. The bottom line is that RepeatMD enhances the entire patient experience while boosting your practice's revenue. They are game changers for your med spa. So what are you waiting for? Visit repeatmd.com forward slash amspa to book a quick product demonstration. And guess what? We'll have special pricing for medical spa insider listeners and you'll receive 50% off towards your first purchase. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Head over to repeatmd forward slash amspa today. I want to back up real quick because one thing that you mentioned, and I know a lot of people who are probably listening to this as they're as they're driving um, haven't negotiated leases before, and I've done so, but only in kind of the commercial context, and you know, in in buildings in Chicago, you know, that are that are high rises, and 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 you mentioned that sometimes you, you use the example like the your second choice landlord is going to throw their wallet at you and offer a lot of concessions and things. What are some of the 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 things that people need to consider when it comes to cost because it's uh, unlike renting an apartment where you're going to live it's like you give a deposit and then you know it's going to be whatever 3500 a month or whatever it's going to be uh leases like this are different in that there are number one the the there's the monthly cost there's there's taxes and things like that but then there's also you know build out and all these things and, and the concessions that are going to happen. What's, you know, I, we don't want to get too detailed here, but, but how does that process generally work in terms of real estate that folks are going to be turning into, to, to a med spa? Very good question. Uh, so uh, this is, I'd say the, the majority of, of 
people who reach out to me or I'm introduced to who say I want to open up a med spa, the biggest roadblock or the biggest kind of misconception that I run into is uh, they they call me, they're excited, they, they're they ready to roll and they say, okay, great, can you find me a space that's already built out and all I have to do is bring in some couches and, and some decoration. Yeah, we're yeah. good to go. Uh, and uh, that, that typically, that just, that, typically that does not exist. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. so wouldn't that be nice? Most of the time, what you are looking at just just to to set proper expectations is you were going to be going into uh, a a space that was formerly another business. So let's say let's let's formerly uh, you know we've got I've got a, a client in Minnesota who's looking at a space that was formerly a mac and cheese restaurant in front of a Target, and so it's like okay, we have to go in and that has to be completely demoed, and we've got to come in and build it exactly to to our spec. Uh, so either it's that or it's a shell and we've got to come in and there's nothing inside and we've got to to still do the same build out minus the demo. Uh, so in those cases, it's going your, your your build out cost is going to differ pretty substantially from from market to market. Uh, but just to give you just a, a general conservative estimate we're going and we want to open up a 1500 square feet uh med spa and, and we're going to come and we're going to build that thing out i would say expect to spend between 250 and 350,000 on construction right, it, right. and it, and it's 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 this is also was confusing to me that I had to like I've always got like a calculator nearby because it's often done by per square foot right it's like here's what the build out is going to be per square right. foot and you've got to figure that out and that that can be confusing too for folks who are used to doing just real estate um, but um, and and so what is that so that two hundred fifty thousand um, or whatever and it's a range obviously it's gonna it's gonna differ on where you are I mean you know Manhattan and and sure. Austin Texas are very different um, what are you gonna like what goes in to that number is that basically soup to nuts? This thing's going to be ready to go for that amount, and 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 how is that? Doesn't it depend upon the architect and the design and, and what they want? And how's all that figured out? Yeah, uh, good question. So, and actually, I'm going to run I'm going to run some quick uh, numbers here. So let's say you know what? Actually, let me let me let me revoke that. I'd say let's let's back that up and let's say between two hundred and three hundred thousand. Uh, and so, so what that's going to give you? That's going to be between say. 125 and $175 a square foot, uh, for example. And so that that's what you're going to be quoted whenever you go to to, uh, you know, uh, enlist a general contractor uh, who's going to come in and build this space out for you. Uh, a lot of those guys, especially the ones that we work with, they have an architect uh, on staff and that's that's rolled into the cost. Uh, and so they're going to come in and say, okay, it's going to be $150 per square foot. And this is going to have everything that you need to to get up and running uh, as far as, as construction is concerned. And so when, when I say as far as construction is concerned, everything that is going to be fixed to the space. So your lighting, your flooring, your your countertops, everything that when you go into the space is immovable, that is included. Now you would still have to buy furniture and you know pictures for the walls and your calf bar, all that, all that stuff. That stuff is you you would move in afterwards and your equipment uh, that that is separate as well. So you're talking just that's the the shell, the the everything that's attached to the to to the you know the, to to the actual ground, so that it's so that it's 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 ready for you to move in furniture, yeah. decor, yeah. equipment. Obviously, all that's going to be going to be um, vital as well. Yes. Um, so then, talk about the a little bit about um, 
the concessions process because that is something and, and there's a very specific vernacular. I'm not sure if it works the same with 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 medical spas as it does with commercial, but there was things, you know, there was there was TI, words like TI, there was, you know, there was all these um, you know, uh there was abatement and these words that they were throwing them like, what the hell does that mean? I yeah, until yeah, I yeah. met with the lawyer and it's like it was really confusing. And I know folks are gonna have the same question. What what are some of the things that that, that people should look out for as far as these concessions and, and and how much are they actually gonna spend out of pocket? Understanding that it's it's variable, right? It's it's variable, but but can some of this stuff be taken off through through negotiation yeah, and concession? Absolutely. So, so I hit on the the biggest the biggest two concessions that we're typically working with. You hit on them. Uh, it's the very same uh, is uh, the tenant improvement allowance, uh, or EI for short. And so what that is is that is a a portion of uh, the the build out cost that you put into the space. Uh, a portion of that the landlord is going to reimburse you. Uh, in many cases. So what this is going to look like is say, for example, if we're coming back to our 1500 square foot um, uh, example, and we're saying, okay, we're going to put in, uh, let's say we're going to put in $125 per square foot. So we're putting in $187,000 roughly into the space. Uh, so if we come and we negotiate with that landlord that we're going to get $40 per square foot for a tenant improvement allowance, what that's going to mean is the landlord is going to come back and once we have opened for business, uh, not not during, not before, but once you've opened for business, the landlord says, okay, uh, great. Yeah, we agreed upon this. Okay, I'm going to stroke you a check for, in this case, if we got $40 per square foot, he'd be stroking us check for $60,000. So you do recoup some of that in many cases. Uh, and uh, in that case, a uh, couple of things to note on there. One, uh, that's non-taxable. You're not going to have to take that sixty thousand and then go pay Uncle Sam, you know, his his share. Uh, it's 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 sixty thousand flat. Uh, and then uh, most people, what they will do is just roll that. Either you know, they can you can roll it back into your bank loan, or you can just pocket that and just keep it as uh, working capital to help you pay your rent, pay your your you know, receptionist, pay yourself whatever you need to do until you get ramped up. So factor factor that in, and then uh, the other uh, major concession that you'll you'll be looking at is uh, is called uh, rent abatement is the the uh, technical term, uh, but you can think of this as free rent. And so uh, the the reason it's called rent abatement and not typically free rent is because uh, most of the time what landlords will do is they'll say, okay, hey, yeah, we'll give you your first three months of your base rental rate. We'll give you that for free but we're going to tack it onto the back end of your term. Uh, and so technically, is it free? Today it is, but you know, you're, you're, you're going to pay it for, for with an extra three months on, on the end of your term. Uh, so it's called abatement. So, uh, so yeah, so so typically on a on a standard deal, and, I, and I'll use a, a live example, the one that we're we're working on in the, in Minnesota right now, we've got $40 per square foot in, in tenant improvement allowance. Uh, and I want to say I, I don't I don't remember where we're sitting on the free rent, but let's say you know we're we're in you know three three months, which is pretty average uh, on the three uh, on the free rent or the rent abatement. And 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 I, I don't know if this is something you can answer, but and, and I'm just getting free information here now. <laughs> but what's the what's the like why why do landlords do the rent abatement and the tenant improvement? Is is it is it because they're trying to, I mean, they're trying to sweeten the deal, obviously, so that you'll sign with them. But I mean, is there any, you know, 
altruistic, like, Hey, we're going to help you get off the ground. So we're going to give you, you know, give you time to kind of get going. I mean, what's the reason that they're doing that? Or is it all just, uh, what they're going to get value in the end? Yeah. Very good question. So, uh, when, when it comes to negotiating with a landlord, one thing to always represent, uh, to, to, to remember here is, uh, the landlord is not your friend. He's going to try to be your friend to make you think he really wants to help you out. But at the end of the day, uh, yeah. And that you're getting this great deal, right? That's what they're going to yeah, make you. Yeah, yeah, this is this is their livelihood, and so for them, anything they give you for for free rent or for tenant improvement allowance, uh, they're giving that to you because if they didn't, we would not come to their space. So it's it's a market standard, and if if one landlord says, "Hey, we're not going to give anything," I'm going to advise you, "Hey, we need to go down the road and 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 find another landlord, another building who is willing to uh, to give us what we need." Because if you if you add that up, let's say you know with a, a forty dollar TI package and then three months of free rent, let's say let's say you're looking at almost eighty grand that that you are getting upfront to help you to alleviate the the initial capital outlay of opening up a business. That's a big freaking deal. Eighty grand, my goodness. Uh, so uh, with that, because it's a market standard, uh, that's that's why landlords are going to give that. But again, remember, uh, they are not actually at the end of the day, they're not giving you anything. It's all built into the deal. And so the tenant improvement allowance, whenever they whenever they are quoting you a rental rate, let's so let's say they're quoting you thirty dollars per square foot, they have pro forma all of their costs into the deal, including the tenant improvement allowance they're going to give you, including free rent, including brokerage commissions to pay their broker and to pay your broker. And so everything when you see that rental rate. Everything has been factored into the deal, and that is what's behind that you know that per square foot rental rate that you're going to be looking at. So they know that no matter what they're giving you, by the end of the lease term, they will have made X number of dollars profit exactly. to them. That's going to them. And incidentally, like that's a that's the it's, it's so interesting because because landlords do that very well with their with their pro formas and they they really they they build it out so specifically that is something that med spa owners need to do with their own kind of services right their services and their purchases whether it comes to equipment or whatever like that's kind of the analysis that you're doing when it comes to figuring out what your profitability is off of a particular room or or a service or a provider um what's a what's a average Least term for 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 a medical spot five years six years ten years how 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 long do you twenty what how, how long can people be expected to be locked into this lease um, when they when they sign it yeah it's a good question so most lease terms the initial term is going to be ten years with two five year renewal options uh, so whenever we go to negotiate a lease we're going to say okay for the first ten years. Uh, we're going to start off at this rental rate and then we're going to say, okay, it's going to be, you know, it's going to go up 3% annually. For example, we're going to go ahead and we're going to pre-negotiate that for the initial term, but we're also, we're going to pre-negotiate that for the renewal options. That way, when you get down the road and, and your lease is, is about to come up to the end of your, your 10 year term, the landlord's not able to say, okay, hey, well, we're, if you want to stay here, we're going to jack your rent up 30%. It's like, no, we, we, from day one, when we sign the lease, I know exactly what you're going to be paying for the next 20 years. Uh, 
And so, uh, so yeah, so so I'd say typically expect for the for the good sites, uh, landlords know that they can get somebody to come in and do a 10 year deal. And for them, the way a commercial property is valued is based on uh, what the, the tenant is paying and how long of a lease that they have. And so if a landlord signs short term leases, their building is worth, say, if they sign all five year leases versus all 10 year leases, their building is now worth half of what it was. Um, and so there are cases where you can come in and you can get landlords to sign a five-year deal, but just in many cases, you're not going to get a shake at the best real estate. And also whenever uh, you are going to uh, to look at a a uh, the term of a deal, you have to realize again that those concessions that we're getting, they're amortizing those over the course of your term. And so if we have 80 grand that they are am- 80 grand in concessions that they're amortizing, if they're amortizing it over over five years, a lot of times they're just they're not going to be able to uh, to to re, to recoup their money fast enough without having to do a super high rental rate, and so a lot of times they're just going to give you less concessions if they are willing to, willing to do that uh, because they they don't have as much time to to get their money back. This is man. This is why this is why we need you know someone like you to help with these kind of things because you're right. It, it's <laughs> it's enough to make your head spin. These 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 commercial leases too are just. I mean, they're 80 pages long. They got all kinds of stuff in them. It's it's enough. You know, I'm a, I'm I went to law school and I look at those things and my my eyes cross and I immediately fall asleep, yeah, and yeah. curl into a ball. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm I'm curious again, a, a little not off topic, but 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 um interesting and, and relevant to what we're doing. If someone's opening up a, a med spa, one thing that I've heard of, and I'd love your thoughts on this is, is, is how much space they should, they should, tr- they should plan on leasing based upon, you know, where they are and where they're going to be. Because one thing that I've seen is that people tend to um, lease a small amount of space based upon their needs initially. And then they end up within a year and a half, two and a half, three years needing to expand, but yet they're locked into a lease. Um, and, and, and that can be really problematic because expansion and adding new space, that's how you make more money. That's how you scale. That's how you increase your, you know, your margins and your bottom line. How do, what is, what's some advice you can give to folks on how much they should be looking at initially? Or is it just, you know, just kind of, hey, you gotta, you gotta deal with that as it comes. Yeah. So un- unfortunately, we have not found a a cookie cutter uh, sort of a, you know, average med spa as this. I'd say if, if I had to throw an average on it, I'd say 1,500 to 2,000 square feet. But usually what we will recommend that our clients will do is they will uh, come in, uh, we will have our initial conversations. And then once we are getting ready to start the real estate search, we'll connect them uh, with someone who does uh, med spa designs and they'll go through and they will will do a, a complimentary uh, space needs assessment. And they'll write, they'll write uh, you know, I've got, uh, you know, I want three treatment rooms and I want this and this and this. Uh, and then uh, the design company will come back and say, okay, you need 1,500 to 1,700 square feet. Uh, and so uh, it, it is more on a case-by-case basis uh, for what your vision is. But where uh, the line that we typically we want to strike is we want to give ourselves enough room to grow uh, without taking on too much to where we're just getting killed in overhead for the first year or two. 
so, and that's, and that's, that's tough because most people, when they open, they've got this kind of fear-based mentality of, oh, hey, I want to just, I want to come in. I want everything as small and as cheap as possible, just in case I fail. Uh, and then they come, you know, two years down the road and they're crushing it. And now, you know, they only took a thousand square feet and now they're tapped out. They can't grow anymore. And now they've got to go and they've got to build, you know, another location because they're locked in for another nine years. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, that's, um, that's what I'm talking about. It, 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 and, and, and I always tell people if you're, if you're doing it correctly, especially in this market nowadays with, with how med spas are growing so fast, um, you're, you're going to be busier quicker than you think. Doesn't mean you're going to need more space, but you, but what you don't want to do is just buy or, or lock yourself into a lease where you've got one or two rooms and you're not going to be able to expand at all. You've got to have at least a little room, a little elbow room to grow. Otherwise you're not going to be able to grow. And that's the, and that's no fun. Um, <laughs> what, you know, I'm just curious, you know, what other, what other things can you offer as far as advice to, to folks that are looking to, to, to get into the industry when it comes to real estate, what, what they should look for. I know this is kind of what you do. Um, and, and we can go certainly go through the process of what happens, um, next, but I, I'm just like, what are some, what are some lessons that, that, that you've learned or, or, or even some horror stories that people have gone through that kind of, they, that, that these, that our listeners can, can try to avoid as they move forward in the process. Yeah. Good question. Uh, so two things come to mind. One, uh, coming back on the, um, the fear-based mentality of getting into this, uh, what the, the conversations that I typically get into and, and, and have with the, the clients that we're, uh, we get started working with uh, are, are really based around uh, setting up the right equation for success. So, you know, they come in and they they want to, you know, put all these safeguards and you do need to have contingencies and you do need to be wise. Uh, but what I try and tell them and get through their heads is at the end of the day, if you are going to the right community where the data is showing us that there is not that, that there's there's a need, it's not saturated here, where there's a true need and desire for your services. You go to a dominant real estate play. You get the right team in place. So you've got the right, uh, you know, marketing team. You've got the right, uh, you know, attorney team advising you. You've got, you know, all all the right people uh, on your side. At that point, now you just need to show up and just be a good provider, and and the, the money will come. Uh, and it's 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 really as as simple as that. And so that is is one of the things I try and, and encourage our clients with is. Uh, you you really you you can't you can't achieve a level of success further uh, than than you believe you can in, in most cases. And so if you think, okay, hey, I can only I, I can only come in and and produce you know half a million dollars a year in in this you know seven hundred square foot uh, space, uh, more than likely it's probably what you're going to end up doing. And so, uh, yes, I think I think the mindset and the belief is just is just huge. Uh, but uh, secondly, uh, whenever you're going and, and, and from a real estate uh, standpoint specifically, when you're going to go through this process, whether you use us, whether you use somebody else, use a broker. So most most people, they just they're just uneducated and they think, oh, well, I'm going to save money if I do this on my own. And I'm here to tell you that's absolutely not true. Uh, so what's going to happen is one, the landlord, as I said earlier, into their rental rate, they've already built in 
brokerage commissions. And so if you choose to come to the table unrepresented, not only are you going to get taken advantage of because you have no idea what you're doing, uh, but uh, the landlord's not going to pass the cost savings of not having to pay your broker onto you. They're going to give that to their broker. Uh, so instead of instead of you know you getting a hired gun like myself to come in and to represent you and to fight for you and to show you which holes not to step in, uh, you you don't get that you don't save any money and you're gonna get taken advantage of big time. Um, so I'd say yeah, just ma- make sure you know wherever you are, use a broker and use somebody who knows Mets boss. Well, that and that, um, and that was actually my my follow-up was, was, um, you know, what's the, what, what's the difference there? Like, like there's, there's, I, there's a lot of things when it comes to whenever someone starts asking me about, you know, medical spas and retail space, especially like in a place like California, it's like, you know, there's so much zoning and there's, there's issues you have to do with what is it that you guys do in terms of medical med spas, dental, um, that makes you different from just a general commercial broker? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, so I hit on a few things that we're going to come in and, and we'll be specific for a med spa that we want to come in and we want to uh, establish early on before we, you know, before we ever get you know down down the road with uh, a lease or you know further negotiations with a landlord. Uh, so one is we want to make sure that our broad scope of our permitted use that we have the ability to do all of the things that we are wanting to do, whether that's, Hey, we want to come in and we want to be able to do, uh, you know, injectables and we want to do laser therapy. We want to do IV therapy, whatever, whatever it is, we've got to come in and we've got to early on day one, we are coming in and detailing all these different services that we want to start with, but also we're having conversations with the client of, Hey, down the road, do you think you might want to bring in, cool sculpting or, you know, going in and making sure that we have established day one, what they are one going to have the ability to do, but two, what they're going to have the exclusive use over. Uh, and so if you're not thinking about these day one and you don't get these things into the lease, what's going to happen is uh, you're going to go in a year down the road, you're going to be crushing it and you're going to say, okay, great. Yeah. Let's bring in M sculpts. And then you realize, oh, wait, we didn't put that in on our permitted use and somebody is coming in and opening up a location right, you know, right two doors down from us, and they're going to be doing uh, those procedures. And now we are precluded from doing so. Interesting. Uh, well, and 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 hang on a sec. So when it comes to that, like like permitted use, um, this is something that I learned also um, a while back, which is, and, and are you talking about allowing, you know, within a certain, that the landlord's building, you are the only one who is permitted to do certain treatments. Um, and, and then others can't, which, which can be drawn into the contract, right? So you can say, all right, we're going to be the only ones who do these types of treatments. And, and, and you're basically blocking out competitors from coming into the building. Is, is that what you're saying? Exactly. So for, for us, what we want to do is we want to come in and we want to detail all of the uses, all the procedures uh, or types of procedures that we want to do today. And we think we might want to do over the course of our lease. We want to detail those out that we have the ability to do them. And then we want to tell the landlord, Hey, we want the exclusive use over all of these that way uh, with, you know, down, down the road, whether it's just the building or, you know, typically if it's in a, a large development, if one landlord owns that large development, I want the exclusivity over the entire development for all of those things. 
that way, if you know, if if we're if we're right up front, but there's there's on a side street, there's another you know building over there. I don't want the landlord being able to go and lease to somebody to do uh, you know talks over over on the side uh, because I didn't get exclusivity over the entire development. I just got it over my building. Interesting. Yeah. And how, how so, are they? Are the landlords typically open to that sort of arrangement, or do they push back on that? So. Typically, we come in and we want to we cast as wide of a net as we possibly can on permitted use and exclusivity to start with. Some landlords agree to it. A lot of them are going to fight back and forth with us, and so we are going to have to negotiate back and forth with them on, uh, you know, what what is is a deal killer for us and and what they're willing to give up. And so that's that's part of uh, that's part of the 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 fight that we go to for the client is to make sure that we get that as broad as we can potent possibly get it with uh, each specific landlord. Man, there's a lot to talk about. I mean, I could probably talk to you all day about this stuff, but um, I you, we're we're gonna bump up against time here um in a second. I, I there's one thing you mentioned that that I wanted to to quickly follow up, and then I want to make sure we get to you know any other points that you want to raise. You had mentioned a, a while back we were talking about you know when you're finding the spot and 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 the ideal kind of prime location, um, and you talked a little bit about market saturation and making sure that there's not too much there's there's that the market hasn't been kind of overwhelmed and taken. Is there is there any rule of thumb that you go off of to help you determine whether or not a particular neighborhood or zip code has reached that level of saturation because I see, you know, sometimes you'll, there, there are, there are neighborhoods where you'll just see med spas popping up three, four, five at a time. This is happening where I live right now. They're, they're, they're everywhere all of a sudden too, in the last year. What, I mean, what, what are some things people should look at to, to, to start either calming their nerves a little bit when they do see others that are there. So you can say, look, just because there's two other med spas in the neighborhood doesn't mean you're going to be, you, you're going to be out of business or, Hey, there, there are five others in this neighborhood. Maybe you should look somewhere else. Sure. Yeah. So unfortunately this is, this is something that we've, uh, we've actually, we've had talks about uh, of, of wanting to, to figure out how we come in and establish a, a rule of thumb, or, or typically we we would call it a, a desired competition ratio. Uh, and so, so say for example, for dental, we typically look for you know two thousand people to one dentist. Uh, so in Metspot, that hasn't been created yet. That that metric in dental was was created by the uh, the uh, Texas Dental Association and the American uh, Dental Association. And so we haven't had anybody come and create that yet. And so that's something that uh, you know maybe. In the future, we could collab on and, and try and figure out what that number is. Uh, but uh, it's tough though because it's really it's really based, you know, with with aesthetics. You're talking about voluntary treatments and demand. It's kind of a different number. Exactly. So so it's a, it's a little, little bit more difficult. And so what we want to do is, as we are looking within the market and we're analyzing the top opportunities that we have, uh, we want to go and we want to set those side by side as we compare the competition. And usually. Uh, there's going to be one or two outliers. And so usually there's going to be one that's, you know, you've got three locations that have a competition ratio of, you know, 600 to one, but then you've got one that just happens to be 10,000 to one. And it's like, okay, well, hey man, uh, out of, out of all, out of all the good opportunities in the high density areas of our target patient, this one is, is, you know, as we put this in a visual bar chart, we see this one uh, absolutely just stands miles above the rest. 
Um, and so, so, uh, so yeah, so it really is, is going to come back to, uh, not only just, Hey, are there other MetSpa users there? Because we, we get this in, in just about every vertical that we work in is, Oh, I drive, I drive around and I see all these other people opening up and it's just like, okay, well that doesn't necessarily mean it's saturated. We need to look at how many uh, of our target patient are here to determine if there is still, you know, available market share for us to come in, uh, and, and really do well. And you know what I tell people this all the time, like I, I have yet to see a saturation point in a lot of these places, even though there are tons of med spas and providers, because there's just such a, there's still such a need for it. Yeah. Um, man, there's lots to think about. Um, um, I, I, I've got a ton more questions, so we're going to, we're actually gonna have to bring you back in and, 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 and talk again. Cause I, I've got a, I've got a hard stop here in a few minutes, but, um, I, some, some questions I'm thinking of, you know, again, like there's, there's the idea that folks want to invest and buy their own real estate, buy a building and start doing that. And then maybe subletting out. I would love some, some insight into that. Um, and, 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 and then also just, you know, when it comes to expansion, I mean, that's the other thing that we're seeing is, is people really, they, they, they have a desire where they say, okay, I want to start, but I want to end up with four or five locations. Okay. How do you start building that into your plan? Um, and, and, and so I think, you know, there's, there's a lot more we can get into. I think I would love to also kind of just, you know, even, even with, uh, maybe with, a with a real estate attorney, go over some of the, go over some of the, the basic provisions that folks got to look out for. So let's bring you back and do that. But I'm curious, um, now, um, kind of final words of advice, anything you want to bring up that you think people should know right now as they go out into this journey. And then, and then please let, let people know where, where they can find you, where they can, where they can get more information, because I know there's going to be somebody who, who wants to reach out and, 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 and get it and get info on you. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Uh, man, oddly enough, I feel like you asked such good questions. I cannot think of something that we didn't cover that I would say you need, you need, need, need to know this day one. So, uh, no, I'm looking up to looking forward to the, the follow-up conversation. There's a lot more that we can get into, but, uh, yeah, if, you, if anybody wants to, uh, reach out and get in touch, uh, best, uh, best way would be, uh, you know, our website is, uh, www.xsite and that's X I T E co dot com uh, and my email is a m i l e s at x i t e co dot com and you guys are um nationwide right i know you're based in 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 dallas i think and and you're but you're based, based out of dallas but we have we work we work uh, nationwide okay awesome sounds good well i appreciate it um albert it was great talking to you um and we'll we'll catch up with you again we'll get some additional questions going for you and and we'll do do some more q a and and it's, it's, an, it's an interesting topic, and I know people have questions on it. So thanks again for your time. Yeah, I appreciate it, Alex. Thanks for joining us this week with the American Med Spa Podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, AmSpa founder Alex Tiersch was joined by Albert Miles, Vice President of Excite Healthcare Real Estate. If you're new with us, click on the subscribe button, then receive new content when it happens. Leave a rating and a review. See you on our next episode.